So, it's really funny, like last week we were talking out of Job, and uh, um, Travis, you made the comment that it's funny that us at Panton were always talking about suffering, and you did not in any way uh, ask me to speak about anything specific, but this morning, uh, I guess you guys had your influence on me, because we're going to be talking about suffering again. Um, I have been, Travis, when he approached me and asked me to do it, he said, whatever God's been teaching you, whatever you've been reading, like you just go, speak on whatever. And it worked out perfectly because uh, the same time last week, this past Tuesday, I had the privilege to speak for school. And I have just been really challenged lately with just spending time in the Word uh, more and more and more. And the more I've been studying, I've been studying out of Philippians, which is actually where the main text that we're going to be reading from. So if you guys just want to turn to Philippians 1 real quick while I'm just talking and giving a little background. Uh, So as... I've been studying this phrase, like in this, this book specifically. I mean, this is just a thank you note from Paul to, to Philippi for sending Epaphroditus uh, to send him just money that they had raised for him in prison. And the whole book is just full of Paul's joy in the ministry, but also just layered with the suffering that's going on around him and the suffering that's going on in the church of Philippi and his encouragement to them. And the one verse that I'm going to read real quick that keeps standing out, that kept standing out to me was verse 29, which is where most of what I'm going to be talking out of comes out of. It says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. And I'm reading that and I'm reading that. And me and my uh, RA, who is by far the most convicting person to be around, uh, his love for the Lord is just intoxicating. We were reading through the book of Acts together. And in the book of Acts, chapter 16, uh, it talks about Paul's first missionary journey to Philippi, which is one of the early churches that he started. And when he went there, he's going, he's ministering the gospel, he's telling people about it, and this uh, demon-possessed girl kept bothering him. She was a fortune teller, and these guys were using her to make money. And she kept following them, she kept following them, she kept following them, and finally Paul had enough of it, and he cast the demon out of her. Well, these people, were, they had it. They, they, they had just lost their means of income, so they went to the officials, they complained, and they had Paul and, uh, Apollos, uh, imp- or Paul and Silas rather, sorry, uh, in prison. They were beaten uh, repeatedly and beaten again and then thrown in prison. And it says in uh, chapter 16 that at midnight they were singing praises and hymns to God uh, and that the whole prison heard. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, as I'm reading this on my own, now sitting and talking with my, my R.A. Paulo, I'm like, how is that possible? How do we, in the midst of such, like, I've never been in a fight, so I don't know what it's like to be beaten, let alone beaten by multiple people with rods. How do you sit there being beaten, being tortured, doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing? Like, God told him, like, he was supposed to go and minister the gospel. It's not like he was living in sin and this was a punishment. He was living out the will of God, doing what he was supposed to be doing, and he was beaten and tortured and put in prison. And he's sitting there in the middle of the night just singing out praises to God. And I'm just sitting there like that is not what my faith looks like. And so it started me to study, and it started me to study. And like while I'm reading this, I'm reading this verse in uh, Philippians, and uh, the conclusion I kind of came to was this, that intimacy with Christ is key to joy and suffering, is the key to joy and suffering. And just that, like, Paul was able to have that joy because the gospel was real to him. And I'm going to talk about, I'm going to break down this verse and like each point kind of like stands out uh, both 
And yeah, so we're just going to go into it. First point being, who is the person granting? I had such a hard time picking this point and, and even like coming up with it. Um, and I th- like, I'm just trying to wrestle with all the thoughts that I'd been having about reading the book and also just even taking, so for our class, we just had to do like a verse or like a, a few verses. And so trying to take this whole book, this whole letter, which is clearly one concise message and like just kind of pick out one section. But so I was just wrestling with it. I was like, I don't know what my first point should be. And again, I'm talking to my RA. And he's like, well, why not just talk about who's this person who's granting us the ability to believe and suffer? And I was like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. Why didn't I think about that? Um, And so I did exactly that. And and that's what I'm going to talk to you guys about. And even like what we were talking about last week with Job was so perfect. Um, And yeah, we're going to get into it. Like to do this, uh, I want to take us back throughout all of Bible history, even just going back to the very beginning. And it says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And just thinking about that before we even talk about suffering, before we talk about the gospel for anything, that the God of the universe who was living in eternity past, which is even like unfathomable, unfathomable for us to think about, created us. He created everything around us. And, and he was perfect. He was perfect in fellowship with himself, living and, and needed nothing, had everything. He was omnipotent, omnipotent, omnipresent. He still is. And, and he, he gains nothing for it. Like obviously in our work, in our, in our service, and our love for him, he gets glory. Absolutely. But he doesn't need our glory by any means. But he created us. And he said, and he said in uh, Genesis 1.26, and God said, let us make man in our image. Not only did he create us, he made us in his image. He says, let us make some, a creature that can be in fellowship with us, that we can bless with ourselves, that they can know us and commune with us. And again, I, just, I kept coming back to it. He didn't get anything from it. Like in our perfect praise with him, he'll get glory and he'll get honor from it and we'll give him the praise he deserves. But he doesn't need our praise. He just said, let me make something that I can bless and I can bless and I can love. It says in uh, Genesis 2, 7, it says, And the Lord God formed man from the dust and just the intimacy of God stepping down and making us. And we have this God. Uh, Psalms 51 says, The mighty one God, the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. This, this super all-powerful being that we rejected. And we all know the story of Adam and Eve. I hope uh, that God created us and he gave us one rule. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and we ignored God, and we decided to make ourselves God. And uh, we went and we ate from that tree. And just even thinking of that, like, the, the insanity of the fact that we have this God who created us, who loved us, and they were in perfect fellowship with him, and yet they chose to reject him. But that's not where the story ends. Praise God. Uh, and that's kind of like leading in my second point, and that first uh, thing that we've been granted in the verse, that we've been granted to believe in Christ. And, and that... God pursued us in that. Even from the very beginning, he made them, it says in Genesis, that he made them uh, garments out of uh, animal skin. And that even right there, he began his pursuit to redeem mankind. And all throughout the Bible, you see his pursuit. You see him chasing after his people through Abraham, building up the nation of Israel so that they could be a blessing to many nations and ultimately leading to the cross of Christ ultimately leading to Jesus dying on the cross that, so that you and I could have fellowship with him. And, and even just thinking of that, like he pursued us. And, and Paul in prison, I have to be imagining, is just totally centered on this, that in my sin, in my enmity with God, God said, I love you and I have chosen you and I want a relationship with you and said, I know you're a sinner and I know you can never get to me, so I'm gonna come to you 
And just even going back to that main point that it's the intimacy with Christ. It's when we sit there, and I, I'll be honest, there are days that I just don't get this. There are days where it just feels numb to me. I've heard it my whole life. I grew up in the church where it's just like, but, but when we really sit there, when we really think about it, like I, I was hellbound. I deserved hell. And God snatched me out of it. God chose me. And he saved me. He rescued me. The Lord loves us so much. The word, the word even there, uh, the, that word granted, that has been granted us to believe, uh, the Greek word there is charisme, which means to give something as a sign of one's beneficent goodwill towards someone. And another word like a synonym to it is to grace. And, and that God has grace to you to believe in him and he has grace to you to suffer for his sake. And that the ability to have fellowship with God is grace, is a blessing. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. But God has said, I want you to have a relationship with me. And that has to, just, that's where Paul was. That's where he's sitting. He's just sitting like, I get to have this relationship with the God of the universe? This God who is so holy, so magnificent, so powerful that if he were to take the roof off this building, we would all just die by his, his holiness. We would just die right then and there. Just seeing his face would be too much for us. Like, that God pursued me? That God wants me? And gets nothing, like, and gets nothing from me? And, and, and for Paul, it was so real. He met him on the road to Damascus, and he's saying, if, if, I, have to, if I get to have this relationship with this God, well, then, yeah, every, get everything out of my way. I just want you. I just want you. Uh, it talks about, um, Jesus talks about in his parable uh, that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field that a man digs up and then goes home to sell everything that he owns joyfully so that he can buy the field and have that treasure. And it's like, when we truly sit there, and there are days, there are so many days that I wrestle with that because I just feel like I have this numbness over my whole life, and I know that I'm, I'm sure a ton of you are in that same boat to where we hear the gospel, we hear the messages, or like even us for, who are at camp, we're seeing kids come to Christ every single like, weekend, and it's just like, yeah, that's cool. And that numbness just takes over and it kills me because I'm sitting here saying, my, the way I feel about Christ is not matching up with what I'm seeing in the scriptures. And it's like Paul had this like radical, well, I get to be with, I get to spend time with God. This is his word. I get to see what he has to, he like, I get to know what he's told me. I was studying Samuel the other day and, and Samuel, uh, when he was a boy, God was speaking to him and he kept running to Eli and he's like, yes, thinking that Eli was calling to him and he's like, I didn't call you and he sends him back and he goes on over and over again. And after he spoke with God, he, he, he waited for the next time that God spoke to him and I'm even just sitting there thinking like, I don't have to do that. I have all of his word right here. Um, they, they kind of, when we're talking to the teens, um, make this comparison and we're like, how would a relationship work if all you ever did was spoke to the person and never ever listened to them. And all of my guys that I was counseling this, these last two days, they're like, oh, it wouldn't be a relationship at all. I was like, exactly, then why do we do it with God? And it's that thought that like, it is a relationship. I pray to him and he hears me and his written word is the answer to those prayers. And he guides me on how I can walk pleasingly to him. And it's in that relationship, it's in that faith of knowing that, and, that, and we're not always going to feel it, and I rarely do feel this like, oh, butterfly feeling of like, oh, God is so cool, and I'm just, because emotion can be deceiving. Uh, but that she said, by faith, man, if God says in his word that he loves me and that I can have a relationship with him, then I'm going to pursue that relationship. And it's not what can God give me, because he's already given us everything we don't deserve, but it's what can I get rid of so that I can know him better. And it's in that that I reach my last point, and that's that we have been granted to suffer. 
And it's that wording that has been grace to us to suffer and how often we don't think about it like that. Um, and I, I'm, if I were Paul, I'd be the complete opposite of him in the story of Acts. I would be doing what I was supposed to. I'd be doing what I was supposed to. I'd be doing what I was supposed to. And then I'd get beaten up and I'd be sitting in prison like, what the heck, God? I did what I was supposed to do. I did what I was supposed to do. Where, where, what, like, and I'll be honest, like, I want to get married one day. But even that's a grace that I don't necessarily deserve. I'd be sitting there like, I'm in prison right now. Why, why don't I have a girlfriend? Why don't I have, why don't I have a relationship right now? I'd be thinking about what I want. I did what I was supposed to. Now give me what I want, right? But that's not the way it works. It's, man, if, if me being in prison right now means that I'm closer to you, yeah, put me in prison. Put me in prison. I want to be there. I, and whatever I, uh, he even says in, in chapter 3, if you guys real quick want to turn there, he says in chapter 3, let me find it real quick, verse 8, it says, Indeed, I count everything as lost for the sake of Christ. Oh, yeah. Indeed, I count everything as lost for the sake of for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And it's that like, the God of the universe loves me. The God who spoke stars into existence wants a relationship with me. You're telling me video games are in my way? Get them out of my way. You're telling me that me uh, having this job that's paying so much money that I'm not even relying on him anymore is in my way? Get it out of my way. I don't want it in my way anymore. I want to just, it just to be me and him. And, and like, what are we, what, like, it's, it just totally is a paradigm shift to my viewpoint on when hardships come my way. It's not, oh, why is this happening? But God, you've brought this into my life, and if this is what it takes for me to know you better, praise God, praise God. And he says, and even like going on, that we get to, be like Christ in our suffering. And I was talking to one of my DCs, a discipleship coordinator. Uh, Word Life has a bunch of like acronyms and lingos that nobody ever understands. And I say it like people are going to know. But my discipleship coordinator, uh, we're talking and we're, I'm like, it's so funny that people say like, yeah, that we'll pray in church or we'll sing a song and we'll be like, Lord, make us more like you. Help us to be more like your son. And then even like the song we sang, which is so perfectly, if you, if you look at Isaiah 53, like Jesus, who, who was he? He was, he was, was a man uh, despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and esteemed and we esteemed him not. Surely he has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression and crushed for our iniquities. Jesus was a man of sorrow. He, like, even if you look at him in Gethsemane, him sitting there like, Lord, if there's any other way for this to happen, but not my will be, but your will be done. And it was that total obedience and that, yeah, hardships are going to come and they're going to be hard, but that we get to be closer to God through them. And uh, just reading about Paul and reading in, Philippi, or in Philippians, rather, like that's, that's where his mind was at. It was all about knowing him better. But not just that, not just that. See, we have the amazing privilege in being like Christ. I and mean, we do pray that we're like, Lord, help us to be more like you. Then suffering comes our way. And we're like, again, what happened? Like, Lord, what are you doing? Uh, but in that, God uses our faithfulness in our suffering for his glory. Like if you look at chapter one, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. See, he's sitting in prison. He's not thinking about himself. 
He's not thinking about me and why am I here and why is this happening to me, but it's like, I'm here, I got this, this imperial guard chain in my wrist, I got a captive audience. I'm gonna tell him all about the gospel. I'm gonna tell him why I'm here. And not just him, but now the entire imperial guard knows about my God who loves me so much, who saved me from my sin. But not just that, that's not it. So not only does God use our suffering so that others may hear about him, because when we can sit there and in the midst of hardship be like, praise God, he is still good, he is still my savior, he is still king, and he is better than all the things that I have to give up in this world. Not only does that cause people to come to know him, but he goes on to say, uh, so that Imperial Guard and all the rest of Christ, and most of the brothers having become more confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And that like in Paul's suffering, he made other believers more bold. And just thinking to myself, what do I look in my suffering? When hardships come my way, is my relationship with Christ leading me to make other believers more bold? Do I, in the midst of, and even, and it can be, and something that I'm really trying to grasp, is like, it doesn't matter how big or how small the suffering is. Like, there's not like, oh, he suffered through prison and like real intense stuff. Like, he's much better than you are right now. Like, because I was even thinking, I'm like, so then what? Do I just throw myself into a situation where I know bad things are going to happen if I talk about Christ? Well, no, because then I'm idolizing the suffering, and, that, and that's not the point. And I think a lot of like, uh, ancient church fathers, they kind of did that. They're like, oh, I'm so holy. I'm going to build this tower in the desert, and I'm going to lay on this tower, and I'm not going to eat food, and I'm not going to talk to people because I just love suffering for God so much. But in the midst of it, you're like, but you're also not telling anybody about Jesus, so you really miss the whole point of it. See, it's not, in, like, I'm, it's not I'm focused on the suffering, but I'm focused so much on the gospel that it doesn't matter what comes my way. He is still more worth it. Um, and so it goes on. And our suffering cause others to be more bold? And then the last thing it says here, uh, right before verse 29, and not frightened in anything but that your opponents, but to your opponents, this is a clear sign up to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. And that when we can, in the midst of hardship and in the midst of tough things, sit there and praise God, those people who are coming after us, who are in opposition to the gospel, they see us just with joy in our eyes, joy in our spirits, peace. And not that we're going to be happy and bubbly in the midst of getting beaten or whatever the hardship happens to be, but that they're like, this doesn't make sense to me. Your God has to be real. There's no way to do this otherwise. And it is a sign of their destruction of the enemy's destruction, and of our salvation in Christ. And just studying that uh, for the last probably like two months or so, um, and thinking like, man, what does this mean for me now? What does this mean for me? And see, and it's all about the intimacy with God. Like, yes, in suffering we can have this joy, but it's all about the intimacy with God. See, Paul was not thinking about his suffering at all. If, if you look at it, just all of verse, or chapter one, it's, man, other people are getting saved. Other people are becoming more bold. Other people are seeing my God for all that he is. It's all about God. It's all about keeping our eyes locked on him. And so what does that look like for us as we leave this building? See, I'm not going to pretend that I know what you guys are going through. And I'm not going to pretend that like, I even are, my, where I'm at in life right now is totally different. I don't have a lot of the struggles or the bills or any, any of the things that you guys are going through. And so I'm not going to pretend I know. But what would it look like for you guys to walk boldly for Christ in the midst of work?
to walk boldly for Christ, to say, okay, yeah, I know that these guys I work with every single day, I know they're not saved, and I know they're going to think I'm really weird if I tell them about the gospel, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I don't care if nobody talks to me at work anymore. They have to know. I have to tell them. What would it look like with you guys, with your families, or, or whatever situations you're in, if we were just to take a step back and really just marvel at who God is and say, if that's the God who loves me, get everything out of my way. I just want to pursue him. I have to tell people about him. And just kind of leave you with that challenge and a moment to reflect. Um, I want to take uh, just a quick moment uh, of silence. If we all just close our eyes, bow our heads, and then I'll pray us out. All right. Father, thank you so much uh, for this time that we get to spend in fellowship with you. God, thank you that you hear our prayers. Thank you that you're here with us even now. God, that you care about the suffering that is in our lives, but you remind us each and every time that you are bigger than all of it. God, thank you that you love us and that you intimately uh, are just involved in everything that we do in our lives. God, thank you that your word is sufficient to get us through every trial, Lord, that you are our sustainer. God, I thank you that I was even able to be up here, Lord, that uh, you've chosen to use me in this way. And God, I thank you for my family here at Panton. God, I pray that you would just uh, build in us a desire to seek you recklessly. God, that we would chase after an intimacy with you. God, help us, our eyes, to be open to just the, the treasure that your word really is. God, help us to walk boldly for your name, not worrying about what's, how it's going to affect us or what's going to happen to us. We got solely worried about you and your gospel. God, on those days when we're just feeling dead inside and dull and, and don't want to do anything, God, I pray for boldness and, God, the faith to trust in your promises. God, I pray that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing to you as we leave from here and that you would just, through this church, God, that people would just know you. God, and even if they don't accept you, that they would fear you and that they would just come to a relationship with you through my brothers and sisters here. God, thank you for this time of fellowship and it's in your heavenly and precious name we pray. Amen.